If you have your Bibles with you on this Mission Sunday, I'm going to ask you to turn to the, the book of Acts, the 14th chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Please uh, use those if you have the need of them. I love Mission Sundays. Love them. May I tell you why? Please say yes. This is the first Bible I ever received. Good news for modern man. I was given this Bible by Dr. George Hudson in 1970. Dr. Hudson had grown up in China. His parents were missionaries there. When he became an adult, he returned to China, and he too was a missionary there. And he came to my little country Presbyterian church when I was growing up. Uh, And he talked about missions. For a week, he preached to us. And his sermons were full of stories about people who responded to the gospel in China and became believers in Christ. His sermons were full of stories about believers in China who, in spite of physical torture inflicted upon them during the, the communist reign there, they refused to deny Christ as their Savior. And so while Dr. Hudson preached, you know, the Spirit of God captivated my little seven-year-old heart. And when the call went out for those to come who wanted Jesus to be their Savior, I responded. And yes, I walked the aisle, even though it was a Presbyterian church. And I became a believer in Christ, and I got this Bible. And Dr. Hudson inscribed this Bible in English and Chinese. I'd never... I'm from the hills of West Virginia. I've never seen anybody write in another language. And here it is. The Chinese right down the front. And so every time I carried this Bible, this is what I saw. Good news for modern man. The New York Times, the Manila Times, the Japan Times, East African Standard, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Times of India. And so from the very beginning of my faith, God was always putting missions right in front of me that the good news for modern man was good news for the entire world. Other missionaries came to our church through the years. They showed their slides in the fellowship hall. Anybody here know what a slide is? (laughs) That's what we... (laughs) Things we used to watch in 1970. Now I saw slides from the Philippines and Japan and Mexico and Romania and those images and those stories, they are indelibly etched in my mind. They stirred my heart back in 1970 to to missions and ministry, but that's my story. But because that's my story, I don't discount what the Lord can do even on a Sunday like this. When we focus on missions and Christian ed here in the worship, worship service, and again tonight, as you all come back, right? You're all coming back, 5.30 to the dinner and to the report, what the Lord did in us and through us in Africa. And so as we come to Acts chapter 14 this morning, my prayer is that God will really open our eyes to see that we as a church, that we as Redeemer Presbyterian Church, we have a vital and an ongoing role that we must play in missions work around the world. So if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 14, we're just going to read a couple of verses this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand anyway as we hear read together the word of the living God from Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 26, and the they being Paul and Barnabas. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, 
Barnabas and Saul, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there for a long time with the disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would uh, add the blessing that you promised to the reading and hearing uh, of your word. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you are here, that you indwell your people. And so we pray that you would be at work in us in a mighty way this morning. Uh, Take the truth of your word uh, and drive it deep uh, into our hearts. Lord, give us ears to hear your voice, even if it's a a voice we may not want to hear. But Lord, you change us in accordance with your truth. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And if you'll look again with me in verse 26... The verse reports a, a very simple fact that, that Paul and Barnabas completed their first mission trip and when they completed it, they sailed back to Antioch. And what did they do when they arrived in Antioch? Well, this is what they did not do. Paul and Barnabas did not pull up to an office complex on the corner of Main and First Street in Antioch and they did not go off into a boardroom to be debriefed by an agency that had sent them out on their mission trip. Look in verse 27. When they arrived back in Antioch, they gathered the church together and gave their report to the church. The church, the people with whom Paul and Barnabas had worshipped. The church that the Holy Spirit spoke to while they were worshiping with these instructions, set apart these men for the work to which I have called them. See, we are not told that Barnabas and Paul, as individuals, received the call to missions and then went and told the church, hey, God has called me to missions. It's the church that received the call of the Holy Spirit while they We're worshiping. Paul and Barnabas are referred in that passage back in chapter 13 in the third person. You know how sometimes the doctor's in the room and and the doctor's talking to the family member and the patient is right here, but the doctor and the family member are talking and the patient's like, wait a minute, this is me you're talking about. That's almost what's going on in this passage. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they're being referred to in the third person. It's like, hey, hey, this is us that you're talking about. But the Spirit in this first call to missions, is calling the church. How does that strike you? The Spirit calling the church. The church then obeyed the call of the Spirit. The church prayed for the budding missionaries. The church laid hands on them. And the church sent them on their way. And so it's no wonder then that Barnabas and Paul, when they returned to Antioch, gather the church to report about their first mission trip. And so the longing of my heart, always the longing of my heart, And that is to see the church, us as Redeemer, always striving to be what God has called us to be. Always striving to do as a church the things that God has called us to do. And when I say church, I mean this this institution, this body that God has very specially designed to be His vessel through which he, He proclaims the kingdom of God through which the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out into this city and throughout the world. The body that that ministers to every aspect of the believer in Christ. It's the church. And I'm not talking here just about the universal church. I'm talking about the local 
expression of the church. The church, like we are. A group of people who, who worship together, who live together, who minister together and laugh together and cry together and pray together. And not just for one hour a week, but throughout the week we seek each other out, we call one another, we gather together even during the week. I'm talking about the church that marries you and buries you and baptizes you. The church that you share the means of grace with, the people that you gather around the Lord's table with, that's the church. The church that protects you when you need protecting. The church that lovingly and graciously corrects you when you need correction because they're people who care about your soul. That's the church I'm talking about. Gatherings of people like Paul wrote letters to. He wrote letters to to bodies of believers. The church that Paul describes as unified, though they are diverse, they're made up of so many different people with so many different skills and abilities. I know some people say, well, I'm a believer in Christ, and so therefore I am the church, and whatever I do, the church is doing. Well, no. I'm sorry. You know, I've studied the church for so many years, uh, and the nature of it, and the purpose of it. What you are is a believer in Christ. And as a believer in Christ, God calls you to connect yourself to be part of a local body of believers called the church. And it's that entity, this entity, you and I, we are to work together to accomplish the Great Commission. Think about the revolution. Think about the revolution it might bring to our churches if we as a church were praying, Lord, we have read Acts chapter 13. Lord, we see how you called to missions the very first time. Lord, show us in our church, as a church, who it is that you are calling who it is you are gifting, who it is that you are setting apart to this work uh, of spreading the gospel around the world. And the reason I emphasize this this morning is so that none of us can deny, none of us can deny the vital role that the entire church, all of us together, have to play in the mission enterprise around the world. It's so easy for us to get it backwards. This is a scenario I so often see played out, scenarios played out in my life and Kathy's life before we went to seminary and we were, you know, going, doing all these missions things. But here's what happens. You know, a person comes to the church and says, I have been called to missions. And then immediately they go out and they find a missions agency or a missions organization through which they can do their work. But I'm just saying right here, God has made his first call to mission through the church. And so you and I this morning with with great humility and with great love for and loyalty to the church that Jesus loves. You know, Jesus loves the church. We are the bride of Christ. So with love and loyalty to the church, we've got to be praying, Lord, what is your best for us? Lord, how can we best accomplish your person, your purpose? We should be praying, Lord, don't allow us to abdicate to anyone else a responsibility that you have given to us as a church. Because you know what? When we abdicate the responsibility, we also abdicate the blessings that come from being obedient to God's call on our lives. So missions and ministry. 
don't first and foremost belong to organizations that function outside of the church. Missions and ministry don't first and foremost belong to organizations that function outside of the church. Whether it's teaching the Bible or whether it's storming the mission field. But for so many years, the church would not be obedient to the call, to the Great Commission. Many of you have heard by now the famous story that's become famous of William Carey. Who's heard of William Carey? Raise your hand. William Carey is called the father of modern missions. He had a great passion to take the gospel around the world, particularly to India, and that's where he went. And he had this passion in a day when the church was really not doing anything at all in terms of worldwide evangelization. So, in 1786, William Carey goes to this meeting of ministers. And he stands up and he asks uh, this question. He says, is it not the duty of all Christians to spread the gospel throughout the world? Reasonable question. Is it not the duty of all Christians to spread the gospel throughout the world? Well... A very prominent minister in the group replied to William Carey, and this is the part you know, young man, and I don't know how he said it. I shouldn't do this. I don't know how he said it. (laughs) Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. (laughs) Can you imagine? I don't know who he's going to do it with, but that's what William Carey was told. Sit down. And so it's kind of a hard gig to do missions through a church like that. You know, there's no... No line item in the budget for missions. But it's one of the reasons that so many organizations developed outside of the church. Organizations who meant to come alongside the church, to encourage the church, to do the tasks that God has given to the church. That's what para means. It means alongside of. And so these organizations were called parachurch organizations. They were to come alongside of and to assist and strengthen the church. But very often, not always... But very often something would happen along the way and soon the parachurch organization took on a life of its own. It becomes this big thing and pretty soon the parachurch organization completely eclipses the church. Dr. Kramendam, if you'll come tonight, you'll see plenty of pictures of Dr. Kramendam. Dr. K, we called him. He went with us on our mission trip uh, to Uganda. Long-time professor at Covenant College, 79 years old, a lot more energy than I've got. A man of great wisdom, energetic, wonderful man. And he would look around here at the States before we left, and then even as we were in Africa, at some of these organizations, and he would just shake his head and sigh. And he would say, you know, these parachurch organizations, they are the unpaid bills of the church. The unpaid bills of the church. And this is what he meant. You know, organizations that had developed outside the church to do what the church was not doing. And so when the church repents, hey, you know what? We hear the call of God to us. We want to do what God has called us to do. We want to teach uh, our people the Bible. We want to be involved in missions. We want to do it. We want to do it. And so they look around for people to help them do it. And now, well, somebody's over there and somebody else is over there and somebody's over there and somebody's over there and they're working, they're doing great things. And they say, sorry, we don't have any time left for the church. We would love to help unpaid bills of the church. That's what Dr. Kravendam says, that drain the strength from the church. And so you know what happens? The church becomes weak, and the church becomes anemic, 
and inept and sometimes pitiful. The church becomes an institution that people complain about or they say of, well, bless its heart. <laughs> it tries so hard to do these things instead of supporting and strengthening the church. Or the thinking develops that if you pass either of these balls to the church, if you pass in the ball of discipleship, if you pass in the ball of uh, uh, worldwide evangelization, the church is going to fumble the ball. Another story. I recently had lunch uh, with a top representative of what was once probably the biggest mission organization in the world. He came into Charleston. He wanted to meet with me. And he talked to me very honestly about his organization. He talked about the, the pride that had developed in it. And he said that they were called and they were supposed to be a parachurch organization. That their intention was to come alongside the church. But he said, you know what, in reality, we weren't concerned about the church at all. And this is what he said to me. He said, we weren't concerned because we were driving the bus. So the only reason we cared about the church was because the church was a place to get people and money. Well, the Lord humbled that organization. And he said to me, now we don't want to drive the bus. He said, we just want a seat on the bus. And so this organization has changed. And now they spend their time and their effort going from church to church, talking to pastors, talking to missions pastors, asking questions, listening. What's your passion as a church? What would you like to see done in missions? Let us bring our decades of expertise to your aid to accomplish the mission that God has given to you. It was such a beautiful thing for me to hear, and it just uh, resonated within me as something that, that was so biblical. Because the church, as we see it pictured in the New Testament, it's not weak, it's not anemic. The church is a powerhouse, and so strong is the church, and so powerful is the church that Jesus says that the strength of hell, the gates of hell, the power of hell, hell will come against the church and seek to destroy it because the church is supposed to be so powerful. And so instead of weakening the church, you and I, all of us together, we are required to do everything that we can do to strengthen the church, this individual expression of it, and to help the church accomplish all that God has given us to do. We can't fall prey to the ends justifying the means attitude, or we could be robbed of God's best for us. And the results of organizations that function outside the church, they might be good. They might be really good by our estimation. And some of you might say to me, even right now, just look. Look at what those wonderful people are doing. Look at what those organizations are accomplishing. Just look at it, Craig. How could you ever suggest that that's not the best way? And there are truly many wonderful people working there. People far more wonderful than I am. I'll just tell you that right now. People that I love very, very much. But people who spend their life and their energy and ministry outside the church. And that's the issue before us. It's not about you, the issue before us is the church, who we are, who we are to be, and what we are to do. That is the focus this morning. What is God calling us to do? What better results might be produced if, if you and I as a church will boldly and aggressively and faithfully seek to obey what God has called us to do? We need to be asking ourselves 
as a church, all of us together and, and the leaders, what changes do we need to make to see this happen? So that the church truly is the center from which missions and ministry radiate. What a blessing it would be, you know, for us as a church to see this entire process take place. That God would raise up from among us. That he would identify to us people he's calling to missions. That we would raise them up. We would train them. We would pray for them. We would support them. We would send them out. If we would see the whole thing fulfilled right here in us and through us, and then we would welcome them home. Paul and Barnabas viewed themselves as an extension of the church, an arm of the church family. And that's why they came back and reported to them. And so here's my call to us this morning. Probably people I've offended. My goal is not, I don't want to offend anybody. I just want to speak the truth as God has revealed it to me. And so the call that I put out before us is not to abdicate. Never abdicate. Let us never abdicate responsibilities that God has given to us because we never want to abdicate the blessing that comes from obeying God. And let's together look around, look around, let's together pool our strength, pool our resources, pool our talents, pool our passions. Let's put them together and work together to accomplish what God has put before us. And I throw down the challenge this morning for us to be bold enough to ask God to do for us what He did in this church in Antioch so many years ago. And where there's doubt in our hearts, oh, we can't do that, Craig. A church can't do that. That the Lord would dispel those. And that we would believe He can do it and that He will do it. There is great work to be done around the world. And if you want to see that up close and personal, you come back tonight and you listen to the stories and you see the pictures and you talk to any member of that mission team that went to Uganda this summer and we will all tell you the same thing. This was our feeling, that we barely scratched the surface. We barely put a little scratch in the surface of the work that needs to be done. And so much remains to be done and God has given us the resources to do it. If we will make a commitment to this vital, ongoing work of missions around the world. Now, you think I'm going to end there, but I'm not. <laughs> we are going to move on. And I do want to talk a little bit this morning about what the work of missions is. Look with me in verse 26. It says there that Paul and Barnabas completed work, the work that God had for them to do. So that ought to tell you and me right away that being in the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God, it's not a place of complacency. It is a place of work. And if you'll remember the the parable of the the mustard seed that Jesus told, the mustard seed is the tiniest of seed, Jesus said. And yet, when it grows, it grows into a tree. A tree that's so big that the birds of the air come and perch and make their nest in its branches. That is what the kingdom of God is like. It's always growing. It's always expanding as we do the work that God has given us to do. You know, as we sang earlier this morning, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journey run. Where is that? That's everywhere. The sun, every place in the world, every day, day in and day out, that is the place. That is the realm of Jesus' reign everywhere. 
His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. That's the kingdom of God. Ever increasing, ever spreading until the end of time, until there is no more need for the sun by day or the moon or the stars by night. Why not? Because Jesus will be the light. And so until the end of time, the kingdom of God is growing and growing and expanding and expanding. And when we remember that, when we remember that this is the way it's supposed to be, the way it will be, then you and I should have a sense of excitement to take our place in this work that God is doing in His ever-increasing, ever-expanding kingdom. As those who have the privilege and the opportunity of proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ right here in Charleston and around the world. Because listen, to some people, not to everyone, but to some people who are yet unidentified to you and me, we don't know them yet. The words of the gospel that we speak to them will be the fragrance of life. They'll be words that literally save their lives for now and for all eternity. The person of Christ is so compelling. He's such truly a beautiful Savior. I think of another hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. Fair are the meadows. They're beautiful. Fairer still the woodlands, robed in the flowering garb of spring. Beautiful in the spring. Jesus is fairer than that. Jesus is purer who makes the woeful heart to sing. Fair is the sunshine, beautiful. Fairer still the moonlight and all the twinkling starry hosts, bright and beautiful. Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. He is a beautiful Savior. C.S. Lewis writes, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God came for no other purpose. And so as a church, we must always be drawing people, inviting people into new life in Christ, both here and around the world. And as we review chapters 13 and 14 of Acts, this is where we get the record of what these two men did on their first missions journey. And what they did was proclaim the good news of Jesus, who is the living Word of God. Jesus is the living Word of God. Acts 13, 5, we read, that when they arrived in their very first city, they proclaimed the word of God. In the next city, Pisidian Antioch, Paul preached the word of God in the synagogue. The next week, on the Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. In Lystra, they preached the gospel. And after Paul was nearly stoned to death and left for dead because he preached the gospel, he revived, he got up, and he went, and he preached the gospel again. In Perga, they preached the word of God. These men were actively involved in evangelism, spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. For I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
And the word compelled there literally means pressure, inner pressure. It's what propelled Paul into missions. It's either preach or explode. Such was the buildup. Such was the pressure. He had to release it. And the release came through speaking the good words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have to examine our hearts here, don't we? We have to ask ourselves, where is there even a trace? And hopefully it's more than that. But a trace of this compulsion. If you and I don't feel some pressure within us that can only be relieved when we proclaim the gospel, then we've got to ask, Lord, why not? Lord, what am I not understanding rightly about the gospel? That I see it as really good news that I must share. What am I missing? Lord Jesus, what am I not seeing about you and your glory and your beauty and your splendor? that would prevent me from telling others about what an awesome Savior you are. Here's the truth. The kingdom of God is going to spread. The kingdom of God is going to grow. Period. Are we going to be part of it? I love this part of the last song that we're going to sing in just a minute. When faced with trials on every side... We know the outcome is secure and Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. That's the prize of Christ, an inheritance of nations, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Growth is the nature of the gospel. Growth is in the DNA of the gospel. The gospel will spread. People will come to faith in Christ. He will have his prize. The question is... Is that in our DNA as a church? Spreading the gospel. The kingdom of God is going to grow. Is it going to grow through us? And listen, and I'm almost done. Hang in there. When I talk about growth, I'm not talking about qualitative growth. Presbyterians, particularly PCA churches, we're really good at the qualitative growth. We teach people scripture, we teach them doctrine, we teach them theology. And that's all well and good and right. We should do that. We should keep doing that. But let's not hide behind our qualitative growth and ignore the fact that there's not much quantitative growth in our churches. If Jesus said to the church, and he did say to the church, as you go into the world, as you go... Make disciples. If Jesus said that, then I guarantee that Jesus intends for us to be involved in evangelism. It's really not a debatable matter. Because no one yet has grown as a disciple of Christ until they first become a disciple of Christ. And no one has ever become a disciple of Christ without first believing the good news of the gospel. Without first being broken by their sin without first being aware by the power of the Spirit of the mercy and the grace of Christ in revealing their sin to them and their need for Him, without repenting of that sin and without turning in faith to Christ as the only one who can deal with their sin problem. No disciple of Christ exists who has not first done that. And so we as a church cannot make disciples if we are not actively making disciples. And seeing people come to faith. Evangelism is the first step in disciple making. 
evangelism from shore to shore, from nation to nation, from tribe to tribe, from one tongue, language group, to the next. And so a red flag should pop up. Whoop! Red flag. In every church where evangelism is not taking place, red flag. Whoop! In every church where no one is coming to faith through that body of believers, through community groups, as our community groups reach out to people in their community, invite them over to dinner. As we pray for and support one another and encourage one another, say, hey, you've been telling us about your neighbor. We're going to pray for you. Be bold enough to speak the gospel to them. You've been telling us about your coworker now for all these weeks. We're going to pray for you. We'll go with you. To be bold enough to speak the gospel. A person that sits in the desk in the row beside of you. We're going to pray that you're bold enough to speak the gospel to them. The red flag that pops up should wave us down. Say, stop. Whoop. Right here. Stop. Look. Investigate. What changes do we need to make so that we are not abdicating this responsibility, but instead we are embracing it, both here in Charleston and around the world, because when we abdicate the responsibility, we abdicate the blessing. I don't know of a greater blessing it is for a church. I really don't. A greater blessing than to see people coming to faith in Christ, to see broken lives made whole and and new. We've got to be about this work to which God has called us. You know, I could go on and on. Let me just tell you, I've written twice as much as I've preached. So that's the good news. More than I've preached, I cut out. There just wasn't time for it. So I want to stop here. But I want you to come back tonight. I want you to be encouraged and challenged and blessed by all that you hear that God has been doing in the world. And that's really what I want to leave you with. Missions is not about human struggling. It's not about our struggling. It's about God working in us and through us as we make ourselves available to Him. That's what it says in verse 27. Paul and Barnabas, they gathered the church and they reported all that God had done. All that God had done through them. And how God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. God is at the very center of their report. He's at the very center of all mission activity, whether it's here or on the other side of the world. These missionaries, as they were sent, were committed to God's grace. They reported all that God had done. They acknowledged that God had opened the doors for them, which is just a way of saying that God accomplished through them the work that He had for them. And I know that God is still at work. He's still at work. He's at work here. He's at work around the world. And the desire of my heart is that you and I, together, all of us, together, link our arms, join our hands. I don't care how you want to think about it. But together that we would be part of this vital, ongoing, life-changing work. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you again for your word and the truth that you speak to us through your word. Father, we thank you for the church. The church is an organization that you 
design. No matter how badly we have messed it up or distorted uh, who we are supposed to be and what we are supposed to do, that, that doesn't change the fact that you, you, ordained and established the church. This group of people who were to worship you together, to love one another, and then to go out in the world and love others for Jesus' sake. And so, Father, I pray again that your spirit would cause us to really long to do it the way you you tell us to do it, that, that we would have such a high view of the church, Lord, and the place that you have given us and the honor that you have given us as the bride of Christ or the church that does all things, not just one task, but as we said, church that laughs and prays and worships and cries and works together, get married, and all the things that we talked about, the, the means of grace, all in this place. It's unique. It happens only in the church. So, Father, I pray that we would always be listening to your voice, opening our hearts to your truth, and being who it is that you have called us to be. And as a church, doing what you've called us to do. Give us faith to believe that as we step out in obedience, Lord, there's where your blessing will be for us. Father, we do pray that the kingdom of God would expand as is its nature, not in spite of us, but because of us and through us. And so bless us in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody good? If you'll take your bulletins, you can look on the back or inside, and you're going to find the last song that we're going to sing there. It's called, O Church Arise. Okay, I'm going to get crazy. I'm going to get Baptist on you. I think it's talking about this Bible and walking down the aisle. And I only want you to do this if you really intend to do this. But when we sing this song, it, you know, if, if you want to make a commitment, and you know what, if we're not bold enough to make a commitment in front of one another, we're not going to be bold enough to make it anywhere else, right? If we can't be bold in front of one another, why would we be bold out there? I'd kind of like to see who the Lord... Uh, intends to use here at the church that really wants to be committed here to Redeemer, to our ministries, community groups, to our missions work. People don't just want to sit on Sunday morning, but yeah, Lord, I, I want to work through the church to accomplish what you have for Redeemer to do right here in downtown Charleston, around the world. That's all it is. It's a commitment to, to do that. So while we sing, just come up here and, and stand. We'll link arms, we'll join hands, whatever. Y'all are so nervous, aren't you? (laughs) It'd be great. What a great, Lord, here I am. Isn't that awesome? Let's do it. So we're going to stand. And you know what? I will be Baptist. I'll sing it 10 times if we have to while people are coming down. But come on, so we can see each other. We can know who we can count on. All right, let's do it. Stand. Oh, church arise.